0: Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. So in the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speakers' secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world. And a series of exclusive content such as interviews weekly job listings events and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity but more than a place where you can learn exchange and grow we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field and soon alongside with other top investors we will be launching a small fund to co-invest In the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email Guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening, I hope to get in touch with you soon and now let's go for the show. Hi everyone, in this episode we are speaking with Ben Cortland, partner at G2VP. G2 Venture Partners is a venture and growth firm focused on emerging technologies driving sustainable transformation across traditional industries. The firm focuses on supporting entrepreneurs at the growth stage who are unlocking new paths to environmentally and socially responsible economic growth. I was excited to have Ben on the show, a self-described aussie force environmentalist who grew up surrounded by nature and no electricity in the Australian bush, Has spent his last 20 years proving that companies could be profitable and sustainable in business to win big. Prior to starting G2VP, Ben spent seven years at Goldman Sachs and then joined the Silicon Valley VC ecosystem in 2008 with Kleiner Perkins, where he started the Green Growth Fund focused on growth-stage sustainable industrial technology companies until 2020. In this episode, Ben will share his view of the US climatic ecosystem, the fundamentals that drive the market today compared to the early days of the clean tech era 1.0, and the US advantages or weaknesses compared to the EU and the rest of the world. Then he will discuss the framework G2VP developed to back winning growth stage companies in sustainable industrial tech and how they support their growth with their G2VP Growth Toolkit. Together, we will go on to explore the climate tech sectors which promising impact cash return and the areas he believes have exciting potential for investments, growth and impact. Afterward, Ben will share his view on the climate crisis today, why all the nature-based and tech solutions are important to solve the climate crisis and how you can be involved with G2VP today. The second part of the show, Ben will give the secret sauce Founders looking to pitch to investors successfully and share key metrics investors are looking for while making their investment decisions. Lastly, Ben will cover how he tackles changes to maintain a healthy work life balance and share a few inspiring reads for climate tech founders. Ben, welcome to the show. Hi, Ben, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. Again, an incredible man uh, who is moving the needle towards a, a better and cleaner world. So I believe it's gonna be a great opportunity uh, to hear your story and get up to speed on what you guys are looking at with uh, G2VP. Sorry about that. (laughs) So welcome to the show.
1: Great, thanks for having me.
0: So before we start, uh, that's our traditional. Could you please give us a 30 second introduction about G2VP?
1: Right, G2VP invests at the intersection of technology and industry. We back growth stage companies that are bringing sustainability technology to the industrial space, we typically lead Series B or Series C investments in companies that are winning, that are growing rapidly, and trying to address the industrial space using sustainability technology.
0: So let's start from the from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? What are you passionate about? I mean, what do you do besides working and on supporting and investing in founders? What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? As I like to ask, who's Ben? Great question. So uh,
1: I'm from Australia originally. I grew up in the bush in Tasmania uh, in a house that was completely off the grid, no electricity, no water, no telephone. Uh, My parents were environmentalists right from the start. We were forced environmentalists uh, back then because we didn't have electricity, so we had, we had to run our lights and our radio off the car battery, which meant that we liked to park our car on a hill every, so that every morning when we needed to start it, we could roll start the car and get going. That start as, as forced environmentalists and living in nature really got me started with my interest in, in environment and sustainability. I obviously left there, went to school, uh, started my career in management consulting, and came to the US Uh, for business school with the original intention of going back home to Australia. Met a girl, uh, we've now been married 20 years this year, uh, which is part of the reason I ended up staying here. And our first conversation ever was an argument about, this is my first conversation with my wife uh, ever, was an argument about whether it was more important to be profitable or sustainable in business. And obviously through the rest of my career, I have concluded that you need to be both. So that was really uh, some of the roots of my sustainability uh, journey. I've now been here in the US for about half of my life and have been thrilled and blessed to be a part of an amazing ecosystem here in Silicon Valley uh, and uh, a, uh, have a great uh, you know, family life with my wife and two daughters uh, and I'm enjoying pursuing sustainability both personally and professionally.
0: So you mentioned a little bit about your, uh, your journey from, uh, you know, from Australia and then the, the US and then this uh, beautiful uh, encounter of your, uh, your wife. But tell us a bit more about this, you know, those different like work and life experience prior G2VP. I mean, I saw that uh, by reading your bio that uh, you worked for Goldman and then you were like a senior partner at Claire Perkins. I mean, what did you learn uh, during that uh, professional journey, I would say, that gave you an edge to start the, the firm?
1: Yeah, so at Goldman, uh, I was there for eight years, four years doing investment banking, where I got to sit in the boardroom and see the biggest investment decisions and strategy decisions and M&A decisions that companies would would make. Then I moved to the, the principal investing side where I was doing growth equity investing across a range of industries, got broad perspective about how businesses succeed and grow as an investor then stumbled into alternative energy in 2005. Uh, This is 17 years ago, just when wind and solar were starting to take off, invested in a set of uh, companies that were making solar panels or deploying them or making or deploying wind turbines, which was a tremendous run at the start of uh, the climate tech journey for uh, for the US and, and Europe. Then I came out here to Silicon Valley to Kleiner Perkins to start a fund called the Green Growth Fund. And the original idea of the Green Growth Fund was to focus on energy and invest in the most promising venture-backed startups in the space. What we learned during that era of sustainability investing for Silicon Valley is that investing in uh, innovating in fundamental physics and chemistry and biology is a really tough space for venture. It takes a lot of time, a lot of capital. There's a lot of risks to bust into the into the industries that they were trying to disrupt. And so we broadened our strategy subsequent to that, that initial uh, start of the Green Growth Fund to broader sustainable industrial tech and learned that you really want to partner with the incumbent industries, not try to disrupt them. You want to back entrepreneurs and businesses that are already winning rather than ones that are trying to come up with some new physics or chemistry or biology uh, innovation and that's how we evolved the strategy that uh, g2 has been pursuing uh, or our team has been pursuing now for over a decade that we brought with us to g2 to back those winning companies uh, that are partnering with incumbents to make the industrial space more sustainable
0: so before we, we jump into the, the genesis of uh, G2VP uh, and we go uh, too deep on that, I'd like to just ask you that this question, and often you know it's always interesting to hear from our guest speakers. If they had like any haha moment, uh, that was kind of like the driver, driver for them to jump in the I you don't know clean tech world or climate tech world for the, the ones who just uh, jump on it. Do you recall any of them or can you define uh, any one of you know as such?
1: Yeah. So when I was at Goldman Sachs in 2006, we backed a company called Sun Edison uh, that I joined the board of with a brilliant set of entrepreneurs, Jigga Shah, Brian Robertson, a, a set of others who were uh, bringing their finance and business expertise to changing the world of solar by making it easy for commercial customers to buy rooftop solar in a PPA model. It was at that moment where, when I realized as a financial investor and someone with broad finance experience that I could have a direct impact by enabling those types of businesses to succeed and that that intersection of sustainability and uh, investing really was happening uh, in the financial world and was accessible to me. So I decided to devote the rest of my career to sustainability investing at that time. We also made billions of dollars investing in that first wave of of investing uh, when I was at Goldman in a very short period of time, which made me realize that the opportunity is enormous. This this opportunity of transforming the way the world does business will be the greatest economic opportunity of our lifetime. I probably couldn't have articulated it quite as succinctly back then, but I did make an an explicit decision to devote the rest of my career to investing in the sustainability space at that time.
0: Let's, uh, let's zoom out a, a little bit and, and take a step back at the, the climate tech uh, ecosystem today in the, in the U.S. Um, I mean, obviously, you're part of the, the first clean tech uh, you know, success, but also bubble that burst. Uh, you saw uh, all of them today. I mean, you saw all of them that, that happened. So what are the, the fundamentals that make the, the, the market uh, more relevant uh, than ever today compared to, to that time? So the the consumer, business,
1: government, regulatory demand for climate solutions is much greater than it has ever been before. When I started in this space and when I joined Kleiner, that was a time of great hope. Al Gore had just published The Inconvenient Truth. There seemed to be some momentum, uh, some real momentum for climate, but it wasn't as broad based and fundamental as it is today. Every person is feeling the effects of climate change in one way or another. Businesses are realizing they need to change the way they do business. The the world has agreed to reduce its climate emissions by 2030, by 2050. Uh, to uh, uh, stave off the increasing temperatures and, and climate change. So those fundamental groundswells of activity are much stronger now than they ever were before. It's not an optional thing. It's not just one side of the political spectrum. The world has realized it needs to needs to act. And those tailwinds make the businesses that we're investing in more successful. It means that uh, the, the, they're swimming downstream rather than swimming upstream. And uh, that will create great investment opportunities. It will create great returns and uh, more and more entrepreneurs coming into the space.
0: So do do you see like uh, in all of that, like, you know, sectors in the traditional industry that are the most impacted and in a way need of change for the the survival? Uh, Do you see like any of them that are really like uh, where there's the the most activity needed?
1: Well, clearly energy is where this started. When I started investing in this space in 2005, roughly 10% of new power plant additions in the US were renewables. Now, close to 90% of new power plant additions uh, in the US are renewables. Amazingly, we are at the point where it makes economic sense to rip out a fully depreciated coal plant and replace it with solar, uh, which was unimaginable 17 years ago uh, that is now the reality today and uh, uh and uh, it's been you know beyond what anyone could have guessed uh back in 2005. having said that we're still uh, more than 90 percent of the world's energy consumption is fossil fuels so we're still just getting started even though that's a tremendous amount of progress still a long way to go in, in energy but it, i'd say it's the furthest along next is transportation the electrification of transportation it is an incredible economic opportunity. And you look at the success that Tesla has had and and the, all of the startups that are following them as well as the incumbents. Again, we're just getting started. At, you know, a small single digit percentage of cars are, uh, are electric vehicles today. So tons of electrification still to happen. Logistics, probably next, where uh, you have very inefficient push-based logistics systems that need to be switched to smart uh, um, point-to-point systems. Agriculture is probably next after that, where you have, again, a very inefficient push uh, supply chain system, lots of waste, lots of inefficiency, lots of steps in the value chain. Technology can be applied to, to make that more efficient and reduce waste and do more with less.
0: So do you believe that um, for the, on, on the US side, I mean, are we at the forefront compared to the, the EU or the, the rest of the world? I mean, what are the US advantages or weaknesses to decarbonize the, the economy? Anything that you see is blocking, maybe a lack of regulation, lack of uh, funding or so technology available? So I think from a technology standpoint, We've continued to see
1: tremendous technology development coming out of the U.S. and still centered around Silicon Valley. We, we invest globally and we have portfolio companies everywhere, but there's still a tremendous amount of in- innovation coming here from from Silicon Valley. And the U.S. Uh, business community is willing to adopt new technologies and startups very aggressively, which is which is great. I think. From the regulatory and and consumer sentiment side, the US is actually at a disadvantage in some ways. The polarization of the political system in the US has made it harder to get real action on climate. And then the polarization of the political system has also caused some subset of the population to not be behind climate change. This really should be a universal push. And I think it is more so in Europe where you have regular, more forward leaning on regulation, more forward leaning from the, from the consumer standpoint. So what we may see is some businesses emerging in the US and evolving to Europe over time as, as, uh, they, as they grow and, and address a more friendly environment.
0: So, according to you, what makes you think? And I was reading on your uh, on your website as part of your of your thesis, like what makes you think that economic growth is compatible with uh, sustainability and reducing global emissions in a way? I mean, we often hear that the only way to go might be the degrowth.
1: So uh, we believe that. The the future of the world is doing more with less. The the if you look back over the industrial era, the world has gotten good at extracting hydrocarbons from the ground, burning them, and to turn them into energy and using that to fuel economic growth. We believe that the future will be continued growth with reduced uh, economic. Oh, sorry, with re- re- reduced environmental footprint, and the way to do that is to use technology to enable industry to do more with less. We don't think that this is a choice that has to be made. Do you grow or do you, a bit, do you reduce emissions? We, we believe that you can do both. And you've seen that happen in the energy space, as I was describing earlier. We've been able to continue to deploy new, new energy while reducing our environmental footprint. You've, we're seeing it happen in the industrial space where Uh, energy efficiency is allowing businesses to become more economically profitable while reducing their energy footprint, environmental footprint and and resource consumption. We think that's the role of technology and the role of our firm to identify those technologies that are helping the world do more with less.
0: So with the goal in mind to keep you know, this 1.5 degrees Celsius overall temperature increase by 2050, which is according to you the, the proportion between tech versus nature-based solutions uh that needs to be implemented and and why do you believe it's important to push maybe both type of the solution or only one one spectrum of the equation
1: we need to do everything we can and we are in the greatest fight that modern humans have ever encountered uh to to solve this climate challenge so we need to do everything i believe that technology will be the most important aspect of, of uh, solving this, this problem. We've seen what humanity can do when it puts its mind to uh, using technology to solve problems. Uh, we it, it, And we have the technology to solve roughly half of the emissions problem that we need to address by 2050. It's really about applying those technologies to the industrial use cases that uh, will allow us to continue to grow and reduce the emissions footprint. So we're, we're very, very focused on technology as the solution to this problem.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you see, like, to deploy at scale those uh, those technologies, as, as you mentioned, and the solution that, uh, as you mentioned, are existing today. What is blocking the the, the full scale uh, deployment uh, of that? I mean, we all know that uh, 2050 is around the corner, uh, and it takes time. So do you see any uh, uh, blocking uh, points that uh, should be unlocked before this uh, full rollout?
1: So there's the industrial blocking points, which are uh, incumbents are slow to move, and they only in some cases only move when they have to, uh, when there's a regulatory change or some sort of a requirement that causes them to move. There are some notable Counter examples to that, and I think those will turn out to be the most successful companies, the ones that are forward leaning on sustainability and, and, and climate. Uh, a great example is Osted in there in Europe, uh, while the European utility sector was decimated by this shift to renewables, they actually leaned in on it and uh, have been one of the highest performing companies. They've been a great partner of ours and a tremendously visionary company. The other side of it is the blockages on the regulatory side. And again, uh, you know, it's, it may be politically unpopular to put a tax on carbon or to put a price on carbon or to tax gasoline you know, or to uh, you know, use taxes and incentives to cause the economy to do the things that it needs to do, but it has to be done and it will be done. The, the question is how quickly, how aggressively uh, can, can we do it? I'm if you wind the clock back to again, when I started in the space in 2005, if you'd asked me, will there be a price, a real price on carbon, a substantive price on carbon by 2022, I would say absolutely no question. I would have said it would have happened by 2012. And it really still isn't in place in a large scale, which is a, a failure of the world's political system. It needs to be done. It needs to be done quickly. And we're not talking about $20 a tonne carbon. The real cost of carbon is multiples of that.
0: Yeah. So let's go. Thank you so much for sharing this, uh, you know, uh, macro overview of the, the general context that we are uh, all evolving into. So let's go now uh, back into the, the specifics of uh, G2VP, if, you, uh, if you're OK with me. So can you let us know more about like. You know, the story, uh, the genesis of it, uh, what was the initial gap uh, that you guys saw uh, that in a way led to the the, the thesis behind uh, G2VP?
1: Yeah. So as I described earlier, I started investing in this space at Goldman Sachs back in 2005 after investing there for a few years. And as I mentioned, that the timing of that was, was perfect. I came out here to Silicon Valley to form the Green Growth Fund in 2008. That was a billion dollar fund focused on growth stage clean tech. And that was at a time when Silicon Valley was deploying maybe a quarter to a third of its venture stage capital into clean tech. So it was was an exciting time for uh, sustainability and investing. We started investing, as I mentioned, in venture-backed startups in the space, focusing largely on energy. And then over time, broadened that to truly growth stage companies that were already winning in their sectors Uh, across the the sustainable industrial tech space. And that worked really well. While Silicon Valley was not succeeding, or at least it thought it wasn't succeeding at uh, clean tech investing uh, in the venture stage, what we were doing in the Green Growth Fund was working extremely well backing these winning companies in the sustainable industrial tech space. By the time we got to the end of the Green Growth Fund, it was very clear that Silicon Valley had run screaming from the from the uh, sustainability tech space, but what we were doing was working, and so we spun out and formed G2 to continue focusing on growth stage sustainable industrial tech. Uh, I have to give Kleiner a lot of credit for continuing to support us while almost other almost every other venture capital firm left the sustainability space back in 2012 to 2014. Kleiner continued to support us. Uh, we continue to work with them on the remaining uh, green growth fund companies, and that's been a, a great relationship. Uh, it was brave for us to form a climate-based fund back in 2017. It wasn't popular back then. But with that body of knowledge and experience and all of the network that we would built over the time, we knew that the problems were only going to continue to get larger. The economic opportunity was huge, and so we zigged when others zagged and uh we uh formed g2 back in 2017 with a 350 million dollar sorry 350 million dollar fund one we've since raised a 500 million dollar fund two and we're deploying that alongside an opportunity fund so we have about a billion dollars of capital under management we've invested in about 30 companies now between those funds
0: so what do you offer to, to founders you invest in? I mean, what are the, the challenges that you see that are specific to them at that uh, growth stage?
1: So we have a unique perspective on this space. We have seen all the mistakes at the Cleantech 1.0 era. We've seen companies that have tried and failed to penetrate these industrial spaces. We've built a deep industrial network with strategics and incumbents in these spaces that we use to help uh, these companies grow and we built a growth stage toolkit where essentially we've taken the 100 plus companies that, that we've been involved with growing from 10 million of revenue to 100 million plus and exit and Bring all of the lessons and skills and uh, and, and uh, things that we've learned along the way into this growth stage toolkit, which we apply to these companies to help them help them succeed. Many of the challenges are the same in companies that are growing across those those stages, and so we we try to bring those to bear in helping our companies not have to learn the same lessons over and over again that other ones have.
0: So, out of those early investments that you mentioned previously, can you give us maybe uh, one or two examples of uh, of those previous investments? And what makes them you know, special? Is it like the team, the market, the tech? And, and how do you source those uh, founders and, and teams? I mean, like who should come to pitch you? Let
1: me start with the, the second one. Any company... So, our, our focus is investing in companies that are winning, in the sustainable industrial tech sector that have great unit economics. So companies, they can come and get to know us before they're already winning, which usually means they've got millions of dollars of revenue, they've got customers who can tell us that they're awesome, that they've got unit economics that work. Uh, They can come to get to know us before then, but we're not going to invest before they achieve those things. And so they can start to build the relationship, but, but we won't invest until they've achieved those things. How do we find them? We Our core methodology is doing these deep dives, sector deep dives, where we will dig into a space. We might spend months talking to all of the companies in the space, interviewing customers, regulators, suppliers, technology experts, and forming a thesis on the space, which can lead to an investment at that time or it- can lead to us waiting and knowing exactly what we're looking for in, in the future. Those deep dives are the core of our methodology and the core of our work, and they allow us to have a unique perspective. When we see the right company in the space because of all of that work, we can jump on it and uh, we know exactly what to, what to invest in. Your, your second question was around some of how our historical investments and, and why we invested in them. Let me take you back to our Kleiner portfolio. We invested in a company called Enphase in 2015. Enphase makes microinverters which turn uh, DC electricity into AC electricity for rooftop solar. We did a deep dive in that area and discovered that even though inverters themselves seemed like a commoditized technology, Enphase's unique value proposition allowed you to deploy the uh, solar system much more easily and quickly. You could put panels everywhere on any facing roof. You didn't have to worry about shading, you didn't have to worry about stringing, so it was a much easier value proposition for deployment. And then we looked at their technology roadmap and concluded that this could be the most important company in the future of residential energy because they could form their own microgrids, enabling the solar systems to work when the grid was out. The, the thing that most people don't realize about solar is when the grid goes down, your solar system goes off. That's not true of Enphase. You can continue to run your your solar system when the grid's off. So we invested at in a 200 and something million dollar valuation back in 2010. I joined the board. The company, like most companies, went through some, uh, some challenges along the way. And while the other investors in the company all left the board and went on and sold their shares and did other things, I stuck with it. We had to orchestrate a rescue financing in 2016, make team changes, make some strategy changes. But now the company is worth $27 billion today. It's the most valuable solar company in the world. I'm still on the board after 12 years. This is an incredibly important and valuable company uh, in the future of residential energy.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Uh,
1: I, I can talk about more companies in our portfolio i, I could consume a lot of time doing that but you tell
0: me- <laughs> but you told me that you have a hard stuff, so i don't want to uh, burn all of your uh, all of all of your bullets but uh, no I, I like to just go back a little bit to um, you know you mentioned that you guys are doing deep dives uh into uh, sector specific so according to you like uh which sectors uh sector or sectors, uh, it depends how is the, the most promising for you today in terms of like what I called ICR, impact cash return. I mean, meaning building impactful companies while creating highly profitable business. Do you see any underdogs, subsectors or area that you are most excited about it for now? So we have, we're have
1: we doing many of these deep dives all the time and I can't pick one and say, this is, this is the one. Usually what happens is We'll see some nugget of, of information or insight that causes us to get excited about where the business and environmental uh, opportunity uh, in, in the area. And it could be some weird sub-segment of an industry. So, uh, for example, uh, we you know, did a deep dive about uh, what do you do with flared gas? So these, these uh, gas flares that come from oil fields, There an environmental disaster methane escaping into the atmosphere how do you solve that problem economically to stop that gas from escaping so we're digging into that area and we're seeing some really interesting potential uh, opportunities in that area what do you do with food waste in in urban environments so that you're not just landfilling it Uh, how do you economically deal with that is it uh, through a digestion facility do you do one of these facilities where you grow black fly larvae to you know turn the food waste into fertilizer and into protein for animal food Uh, do you uh you know pursue a recycling type strategy uh with that a circular economy type strategy to go back into into growing so those areas we will find areas that are uh, of where there might be uh, an intersection between economic opportunity and environmental impact and, and pursue those there are so many that it's hard for me to just pick one and say this is the one we're most excited about
0: no definitely but uh, always good to hear you know for the other investors and lps uh, listening to the show to see like ah those guys are looking at that that might be interesting or maybe some founders are like yeah we're doing something that uh, might be interesting for them in the in the future so Taking the opposite side, I mean, out of all the, the pitches that uh, that you hear, and it's a little bit different in your case because you guys are already picking like some, what you mentioned, winner in their, in their field. But uh, which other the, the solution you believe makes like in a way zero sense whatsoever and sound to be a waste of time and resource or maybe like even greenwashing? Uh, do you have maybe an example without naming any companies?
1: We're, we're quite skeptical on the hydrogen space. This is an area that has regained a lot of attention over the last year or two uh, after it had a lot of attention back in 2005 to 2007 and then it sort of disappeared and now it's coming back. We're quite skeptical about that space because it is largely uneconomic to generate the hydrogen, move it to where it is needed and then build out the infrastructure for, for using it. So that's that's an area that we're skeptical on. Of course, we are data-driven decision makers at our core. So if someone has that great, you know, bright hydrogen idea, then we will listen and be and happily be proven wrong. But we're quite skeptical on on that space as an example of one that's that's quite hot right now.
0: So going back to um, impact, like, how do you guys measure impact? I mean, some other funds often that I see, like, you know, they do like mentioned like we invest in you know 100 uh, gigaton uh, potential uh, idea or do you have like any specific uh, criteria or specific process framework uh do you rely maybe on scientists or experts to validate that tech uh, or the impact potential or maybe some co2 impact or social impact is any like uh, impact i would say uh, cursor that uh, you guys are looking at uh, for your investments
1: Yep. so we evaluate every investment opportunity on a specific impact framework because we're looking at a range of different companies it's there's no single framework that works for every company some are you know doing very very direct you know climate impact things others are doing more indirect and so what we will do is start with the company's view on their sustainability impact if they don't have a view we probably won't invest If they do have a view, we then evaluate that against the U.N. sustainability goals, evaluate where it fits on both an environmental impact axis and an other impact axis, which can be a whole range of uh, different things. And then we will decide whether it meets our, our criteria in terms of is it having a significant positive impact? Because the businesses we're investing in at this intersection of environmental impact and economic attractiveness might have a range of different environmental characteristics. What we end up with is a portfolio approach. Some are extremely directly positive, making electric buses, deploying solar panels, helping consumers buy green energy. Some are more second order effects, more efficient supply chains, dematerializing circular economy. But the whole portfolio in aggregate is extremely climate positive.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that because it's uh, always a little bit like the you know the difficult part. Uh, we want to look at uh, capital towards like uh, impactful companies, but at the same time it's always like where do we put the, the stop or go, and uh, even harder, I guess in the you know the early early stage, which is uh, not too much your, your case. So what's next for G2VP guys? What's next? More of the same. We've been now successfully
1: investing in winning companies in uh, growth stage climate tech for you know, over a decade as a, as a complete team. We're excited about the flow of opportunities we're seeing. We're seeing more than we've ever seen before. Companies and entrepreneurs that are succeeding in addressing the climate challenge and, and doing it in an economically attractive way. Uh, we've invested at our fastest pace ever over the last year, we've been doing close to one investment a month, which is unprecedented for us. And we're excited about the, the company we're backing across a range of different sectors uh, addressing the climate space.
0: So any, uh, you guys are not looking at like, uh, I would say a little bit uh, lower um, you know, growth level, meaning like uh, maybe the seed stage or like uh, Series A. Uh, is that something that you guys are looking at in, uh, in the future or not at all you prefer to be? Not at, not
1: at this point. We've built a really successful methodology around identifying these winning companies. Some of them can be Series A companies. It's a rare Series A, but uh, we don't care so much about the letter of the round. What we care about is, is the company in revenue, do they have product market fit? Have they demonstrated that their unit economics are great? And can we call the customers and have the customers tell us, this is the one, this company's winning? And if they meet those criteria, regardless of what letter the round is, we will look at investing.
0: So, last question to uh, to, to conclude this uh, this first part of the interview, like uh, we like to ask, so what's your personal view on the on the climate uh, crisis today? Are we doomed? Uh, what would you say to, to people who feel demoralized by you know all the terrible and already visible consequences uh, of climate change?
1: We have the technology to win this fight. We don't necessarily have the will to deploy that technology to win the fight right now. So I believe we will ultimately win, but we will suffer some, as with many things in, in humanity, we'll have to suffer some consequences to build the will uh, to deploy that, that technology and deploy the, the resources to, to win the fight. So I will be surprised if we if we muster the, uh, the will to meet 1.5 degrees C, but I'm sure that we can beat the really catastrophic, uh, you know, multiple degrees C uh, climate uh, impact that that would be really catastrophic to the world's economic and, and ecosystems.
0: So, do you believe that um, you know this will, uh, you know, in the world after COVID, uh, as we as we had and all this uh, international tension, uh, you know, with uh, in Ukraine uh, with Russia, which is like especially on the European side, like you know, uh, providing more than forty percent of uh, natural gas, uh, you know, um, uh, resource. So, do you feel that this will is like you know way being? Put a little bit on the side because now we are like starting to, you know, restart uh, old, uh, cold, you know, uh, energy plants uh, just because of like we need to find alternative to that. Or do you feel it could be in the midterm uh, something very positive for the, uh, the ecosystem?
1: I, I think the issue of reliance on other countries' energy resources is really going to uh, cause the world to accelerate deployment of renewables and accelerate efficiency efforts. So I'm and it's not just energy, it's, you know, all natural resources, you're buying your rare earths from China, you're buying your gas from Russia, you're buying your coal from from Russia. There are solutions to these which today might feel like they're more expensive or they're a deployment of capital that isn't the number one priority for a country. But if you think about the long run, then getting off reliance on those natural resources will be the path forward. And so I think ultimately, we'll end, it will end up accelerating uh, the, the solution. And I think about you know going back to the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan wars of the US, if the US had spent the $2 trillion that it spent on those wars, just building out energy resources and, and sustainability, we wouldn't need foreign oil. And so we'd, we'd, be, re- we'd be free of that problem entirely. I think the same thing will happen now as you think about generally reliance on other countries' natural resources and it'll it'll ultimately accelerate the solutions.
0: So how can the community of, uh, you know, investors, LPs, uh, founders listening to the show can uh, help you guys?
1: Well, the the, uh, entrepreneurs and founders and uh, companies in the space can come to us and pitch their, their, their businesses and we can invest in the best ones and help accelerate their, their growth. LPs, uh, we will be raising our next fund in early 2023. We'd be happy to talk to new LPs who are mission driven and, and want to have an impact as well as earn top tier returns. And generally the type of thing that you're doing here to publicize the issues of climate and bring them to the to the forefront of the world's consciousness. We think it's really important as well because it'll ultimately create those tailwinds that allow businesses, regulators, and consumers to build the will to address the problems.
0: So, any question that I should have asked and I didn't for this first uh, part of the show?
1: No, I think you covered uh, you, you covered a lot of good ground there.
0: Ben, thank you so much for uh, spending the time uh, with us, for your incredible uh, insights as well. Uh, I'm so excited to see uh, so many, uh, you know, interesting and uh, brilliant people like you, uh, you know, working hard to, uh, to, you know, support founders towards, uh, uh, you know, developing their company uh, for a better world. So thank you so much. Right, thank you for having me. Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climatic ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation, a sponsorship, to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupdScamp.org to discover more episodes like this one, and get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation, and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch, and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us.